You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Simpsonville teaching pastor, Jason Thompson. All right, so we are continuing our prayer series. We've been looking, we've been breaking down line by line the Lord's Prayer. And so we're reading it from the King James Version, because let's be honest, most of us learned it in the King James Version. We, can't, we couldn't quote it in the, in the NLT. And so we're going to look at it on the screen here just a second. But it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is the line that we're going to focus on today. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I'll just finish it out. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we are talking about this line. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now I want to point out that as Jesus ends this prayer, his first response, his first follow-up, the first thing that he wants to expound on is this line in his prayer. And he says this, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Wow, that is, that is heavy. Now we, this is, you know, this is the King James language, right? Trespasses, when I think of trespassing, I only think about going on private property I'm not supposed to, right? So uh, maybe a better way of saying it even than debts or trespasses is wrongs or sins. If someone wrongs you or sins against you, if you do not forgive them, then God will not forgive your wrongs and your sins. Now, that brings up some pretty interesting theological questions, right? Are you saying, God, that if I don't forgive someone that has wronged me, that I am not going to heaven? Does that mean that you will not forgive my sins, that those sins and those debts are not canceled, and I don't have right standing with God, and that I will go to the wrong place? Well, that is not what it's saying. <laughs> All right, we know that from other theological, we know that from other scripture passages, right? All right, so we know that we are saved by grace and grace alone. And we know that we are saved by faith and faith alone, right? It's faith and grace. So it's not whether or not that we live right in every situation. So if we don't forgive this person, all right, it doesn't mean that our standing with God is, our eternal standing with God is at stake here. So what could it possibly mean? Because this, obviously, this is very serious language. He must be meaning something. There must be dire consequences in some way, shape, or form. All right? What he is talking about here is the consequences of your sin. We serve an incredibly gracious, forgiving God. And there are so many stupid, foolish mistakes that we make that we don't feel the full extent of the consequences that we should feel for those things because he shows us his blessing, his protection, his grace. And what he is saying here is, 
if you're going to harden your heart and you're going to refuse to forgive other people, that is going to affect how much grace that I show you. So this is the first point that I want you to pull from this. If we want grace, we must show grace. If you want grace, you must show grace. And so the, the less that you show, all right, that means the less that God is going to show you. And it is going to affect your life. He's going to allow strongholds to come into your life. He's going to allow chinks in that armor. He's going to remove his protection from your life. You're going to experience some of the fuller consequences of your sin because you have removed his protection and you have not made a right standing with him in your relationship there. And your relationship with other people will be affected. There is a parable in scripture that so clearly illustrates how God views this whole thing that we have to go there. It's almost like a pastoral crime if I do not take you to this parable because it's so beautifully explained. So we're gonna look, our main passage now is gonna be in chapter 18 of Matthew. Chapter 18 of Matthew. So to set this up, we're gonna be starting in verse 23, but um, Peter comes up. And it's like, ah, God, how many, I mean, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive people? You know, seven times, hoping that that's the end of it, and he can, he can withhold forgiveness after that. And Jesus is like, no, no, you know, 70 times, seven times seven, 70. And so it goes back, and he's like, here, let me explain this to you in more detail, and he gives us parable. So starting in verse 21, that's where we're reading. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt that you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. It's intense, intense. Now, I don't know who you identify with in this story, but probably for the first 25 to 30 years of my life, I'll tell you who I identified with. I identified with this guy's fellow servants. I was the one that is outraged by this behavior. I'm looking at this and I'm like, are you kidding me? You just had a millions of dollars worth of debt erased and your first reaction is to go out and grab a guy by the throat and say, give me my money, like $1,000? Like, who does that? That's outrageous. I'm like, 
I, I would, you know, you read this, you get worked up, you're steaming, you're like, that's, that's so unrighteous. And so easy to see that. It took a long time for me to recognize that I'm that guy. That Jesus is saying that every time I withhold forgiveness, that is what I'm doing. And that is what Jesus is wanting us to see here. So I want to share with you uh, my forgiveness story. If you've been here long enough, you might have, have heard this. It's not that I don't have other forgiveness stories, but this is the one that changed my life. Um, it, was, it was pivotal in shaping my perspective. As many of you know, my first marriage ended in divorce. And for four and a half years, I thought things were going great, just getting better and better. And then like a light switch, just shutting off, it went from seemingly good to horrible. And I could not figure out what was going on. I tried everything. I tried to be everything I could to her, <clears throat> say and do whatever she wanted me to do. Um, I just, and I tried to make it right, tried to make it right, couldn't figure out what was wrong. Went to pastoral counseling, uh, marriage counseling, um, didn't affect it at all. Went to outside the church uh, marriage counseling, had no effect. Did everything in my power to try to heal this marriage. Couldn't figure it out. Finally, it took uh, my pastor at the time and my best friend organizing an intervention for me. And they, they sat me down and was, look, there is no other explanation. She is cheating on you. And you would think that would come to my mind right away. But I just, I could not see that. There was just like no way that was the answer. But after they convinced me, I started looking, looking for evidence, and it was not hard to find. Um, and I remember the, the night that I, I finally put enough pieces together to know in, for sure. And I was playing in a volleyball tournament, and my wife had, had waited until I committed to that volleyball tournament and then told me that she was going to go visit her parents, which lived out of town. Uh, and, and that was something that had been happening more and more often. And, and so I found out that she had gone off with him out, out of town. And they were going to do the weekend together. So I was not in a good frame of mind. Uh, I, I was filled with a murderous rage. And I don't mean that figuratively. And so I, I, I went home. I researched on, the, on, the, on, the, on our computer at home and tried to figure out where they went. And there was a lot of information on Table Rock they, that had recently been researched. And so I'm like, they're in Table Rock. I'm going I'm to get them. All right. And a, a, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine knew how mm, unstable my mind was at this time. And he came over with a buddy of his. And, 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 and so I, I, I didn't have a gun, thankfully, uh, but I grabbed the, what I had, a baseball bat and a machete. All right. And so <laughs> I, I threw him in the car, got in and I, I'm in business. All right. And my buddies were like, there was two of them and they were like, hey, yeah, we'll come with you. We'll, we'll bury the body, you know, whatever. All right. <laughs> And I, and I knew that they were really just there to protect me from doing something stupid, but I, I, we all were like, yeah, yeah, let's go get them, right? And so we did, I drove all over Table Rock looking for their vehicle, couldn't find it, God's protection. They, they had last second, they went to a different mountain, and I, I didn't find them. In the next couple of weeks, like God's just mercy and grace it's like the Holy Spirit kind of took over my body for a couple of weeks. Like, uh, I, I grieved, but it was like my reactions were above board. And in every way, 
you know, and, and I handled it the, the right way for the most part. And then it was like, okay, God said, well, I got you through those two weeks, and so now I'm going to let you go and go on your own. And then uh, uh, the rage came back, all right? So it was like just devastation, depression, and, and rage kind of mixed in together. And what was interesting, that the dynamic happened where it was like, I was kind of like hurt and depressed when I would think about, you know, the wife. And, but then uh, I, I was filled with like this anger and hate when I think about the guy, all right? And it was like I've, I've channeled all of my hate towards this, this guy. And there's a, there's a few uh, legitimate reasons for this. One is like after the fact, I found out that he had kind of been plotting this for a while. Like he had been talking with buddies and had his eye set on her, all right? So that, that hurt. Uh, it was also compounded for sure that this was a friend of mine, all right? This was a supposed decent friend of mine. We, we played volleyball and tennis uh, frequently. He, he was married. We would go on couples dates, that kind of stuff. And so just the level of betrayal, it was especially bad because there were times where I confided in him about how bad my marriage was going. And like he commiserated with me and he, was t- he would talk about his marriage problems like they, they, did, like they didn't connect or anything. And, like, and he was such a good liar that I would walk away feeling better about him and feeling better about the marriage. And when I look back on that, I just, ooh, that, really, that was really hard. But <laughs> probably the hardest part of it all was that there was no, there was no remorse. Um, it kind of like continued in it. So there was a time where everything came out where my wife asked to continue to work on it. And so I said, I, I will try to work on it. And we were going to try very slowly to heal, heal our marriage despite everything that happened. And understand that it, it had been going on for 10 months, right? 10 months of, of hiding and, and all this kind of stuff. So it was a lot to forgive and a lot of work through. So we were doing it slowly. And all I asked, I was like, I, okay, if we're going to do this, you've got to get back in church. You don't have to go to the church that I go to, all right, if you're worried about people looking at you, but you need to get back in church, you need to start living right, and, and you can't have anything to do with them, right? So for six weeks, we, we worked on it. She, she didn't do anything. I mean, she didn't change anything, but we, we, we were kind of trying to work on it. And then I found out that they were still together. And when I found out they were still together, I mean, it wasn't even like they were hiding it. Like, they were still playing volleyball together. They were still on the same team and, like, they're driving in together. And so I found out that one night they were, they were playing, and I decided I was going to show up. And I wasn't even planning on doing anything. But I was just going to show up and just, just watch them and let them sit in their guilt um, and hopefully embarrass them. And so I did. And this is, this is the infuriating part. So he, the guy got so embarrassed by being called out on what he was doing that he started a fight with me. <laughs> he like, he like got, met me in the parking lot and started a skirmish with me. And by the end of that skirmish, I, I was filled with a murderous rage again. And so over time, things got better because honestly, you know, I put God in my life, first and foremost. I tried to follow him. I started going down this path of, of just listening and obeying him, very active in the church. In fact, the church, my church 
started asking me to join their staff, which I thought was crazy. I'm like, here, I'm a divorced guy. I mean, it made no sense to me. I was telling them no at, at first, but eventually I became more and more involved with church and even became a pastor on the staff. And so while I'm going through all this, I'm, I'm experiencing healing, I'm experiencing redemption, I'm, I'm going, moving forward with my life. But if you brought up the topic of this guy, I, I would be honest with you. I said, yeah, I hate him. And I was like, I have every right to hate him. Look at what he did to me. I didn't feel bad about it at all. Even being in this key ministry position, I was like, yeah, I have the right to hate him. That was my attitude. And I didn't see a problem with it. I was just like, I'm just going to stay away from that, kind of put that aside, compartmentalize that, and it's not going to affect my life. And I started going about with life. And then I was working on a Bible study And I found this book called Christian Atheist by Craig Rochelle. If you haven't read it, amazing book. Chapter six is on forgiveness. And I'm reading this story, and Craig Rochelle, when he was a younger man, he had a little sister, and his little sister was taken advantage of and molested by a friend of the family who was a middle school teacher. And just the level of betrayal of having a friend and someone you trust in a position of authority like a teacher, do that to your sister. Now, I I have a little sister. And so I'm reading this story. I'm immersed in this story. I am feeling it. Like, I am connected to it. And and, and, and Pastor Craig talks about how he, he wanted to kill this guy. And he was so angry with this guy. And his whole family was struggling with it. And I'm like, of course. Why wouldn't, why would you react any other way? And I keep, I keep reading, and once it happens, and I, don't, I have no idea how he got away with not being prosecuted for what he was doing, because it wasn't just his sister, it was, it was other young girls too. But the guy moved out of town, but the guy developed a severe case of MS. Like body deteriorated rapidly. Um, and so it, not long to live. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, Yes, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Like the Lord strikes him down. And so I'm so excited. I'm like, yes, I'm invested. I'm like, see, God takes care of things, right? This is good. And so I'm reading this story. I'm like loving that part. And then Craig starts talking about how he felt like God was telling him like he needed to forgive this guy. Whoa, 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 slow down, Craig. All right? And so he's like, he just felt like he wasn't right. And so he had to start, and he was like, the only way to start forgiving this guy was to start praying for him praying for this pedophile, ah, and so I'm reading, and so he goes on, and he just does it, and he gets to a place where he actually forgives the the guy to the extent that he writes him a letter of forgiveness, lays out the plan of salvation, and sends it to the guy. Wow, that is a bold step, and so the guy at this point is in hospice, can't walk, can't even talk, he has the nurse read him this letter. He hears their forgiveness and the plan of salvation. And he breaks down and starts weeping. And the nurse asks him, do you want to accept Jesus as your savior? And he nods, yes. And for the last two weeks of his life, he had a different demeanor. And he was changed. I remember reading that, and I, I was stood up, I got off my couch, took the book, 
and slammed it on the ground. <laughs> I wish that wasn't true, but that is what I did. And I was so disgusted that this man who had so wronged this Pastor Craig's sister was now going to be in heaven because of his offering of forgiveness. And in that moment, I realized how broken I was. That I could read a story of redemption and God's grace in a man going from heaven to hell and I could be disgusted and I could be angry. I was like, what is wrong with my heart? And God immediately spoke to me and made me think about the guy that I had not forgiven. And he started opening my eyes to how jaded my perspective was, how cynical I had become, how, I, how judgmental I had become of other sins than mine. He's like, Jason, if you want healing, then you've got to pray for this guy. I did not want to pray for this guy. And I remember wrestling with God and God would not let go. He's like, I can't heal you unless you let go. And I remember my first prayer. I was like, all right, all right, I will do it, Lord. And I said, God, him. And that's all I could get out. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm filling the blanks, hurt him, maim him, you know, like, like, but just like God, him. That's all I could get out. But as days went by, it was like, God, help him. And God, you know, bless him. I still remember vividly the first time I said, God, save him. I was like, oh, no, 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 I take that back, I take that back. I do not want to be in heaven with this guy. Ugh, don't do that. But eventually, as I kept praying, I meant it. And I, I would do it every single night, over and over again, until I could easily pray for blessings for this guy, for good things to happen for this guy, that this guy would change his heart and become a believer in Christ. And when I finally got put to the test and ran across this guy, I invited him to come play volleyball on my team. We high-fived, we shook, we played together, we complimented, just, it was like a surreal experience. It was like everything was forgiven. The guy didn't know what to do. He was like all weirded out. As he should be, right? <laughs> And since then, I got to be honest with you, the point was driven home. Forgiving people has been a lot easier since. No one has, has wronged me to that extent again. And I am telling you, I know this is going to be hard for you to hear. I'm going to be very blunt with you this morning, okay? You cannot have the heart of God and a heart of unforgiveness at the same time. It's not possible. If you have the heart of unforgiveness, then you, are, you do not have the heart of God. He has forgiven so much. And the more you hold on to unforgiveness, the more that you fuel yourself with hate 
and cynicism and bitterness. And it's not affecting that person that you hate, it's affecting your heart, your perspective, your outlook. And you are harming your prayer life. Every person that you withhold forgiveness from is like you going up to them and grabbing them by the throat and demanding that they pay their debt. When God is over here having forgiven so many of your sins and your wrongs. So I don't do this for the people that have angered you in your life or the entities out there, the corporations, the things that, you, that, that fire you up and make you angry. I'm not doing it for them. I am pleading with you for you. Which brings me to my last point. Forgiveness protects our heart and opens our eyes and ears. Forgiveness protects our heart and opens our eyes and ears. It protects our heart from bitterness. Essentially, what forgiveness is, and forgiveness is an action, it's not necessarily a feeling. Feelings come after the action, right? But you step into forgiveness as you actively have to show love to somebody, right? You can't forgive someone without loving them, all right? And you can't love someone that you're withholding forgiveness, as we've pointed out, all right? And so essentially what you are doing when you are forgiving someone is you are projecting love out and keeping bitterness from being able to come in. It's like a water spigot, all right? If you had a hose, you could stick down sticks and pebbles, and and if, if no water was coming out, eventually you would jam that thing up and it would barely a trickle would come out of that hose, But if that hose is on and turned on and is pouring out water, you can't stick little pebbles in down in it. You can stick sticks of debris and dirt because it's projecting out. And that's what forgiveness does. It projects out of your heart with love and prevents bitterness from getting in there and planting seeds into your heart. So you've got to be proactive and keep forgiving people. Keep showing them love even when you don't feel like it. And if you will do that, then your eyes and ears will remain open to how God is leading. Your prayers won't be muffled. Now, please understand that I'm not saying that God's ears are muffled. God's ears are never muffled. But when you withhold forgiveness, you put a muffle on your faith. You dampen it. You hold it down. You are unable to connect with God Almighty the way that you should, with a faith that you should have, and so your prayers are hindered. So the good things that you want, the good blessings that you would receive, you're not receiving because you're holding on to your own rights and your unforgiveness. And so my challenge to you this morning is to let go. Give it up. Forgive freely. You have no idea how much of a burden will roll off you if you will do this. It is not about the other person. It is about you and your relationship with God and your own happiness and your own peace of mind, your own health. And I have only one tool in my tool bag to help you with getting through and forgiving people. You have to pray for them. You have to pray what's best for them, that God will work in their life 
and change them. It's easy to, to change, ask for change, right? It's easy to go to God and be like, change their heart, change their attitude, right? But you had not, not just that, you're like, no, change them from the inside and out and make them more like you and bless them. So I want you this week to analyze your life. Is there anyone in this world that you would rather not pray for? Because that is the person that you need to forgive. If there is a moment's hesitation that you're like, "Ah, I don't really want to pray for that person, then you know that you are holding something back and you are not loving your neighbor and loving your enemy as Jesus has called you to do. So my challenge is to you this week is to work down a list from people you dislike the most all the way down. Just start with one. I'm not telling you to do it all at the same time. That would drive you crazy, all right? Start with the one that most angers you and is the hardest to pray for. And it doesn't have to be a perfect prayer. I started with just God, him, all right? So work from there, build it to the point where you can easily pray for good to happen in their life. And when you get to that point, you'll know that you've forgiven them. And I just give you a word of warning, if you stop praying for them, it's likely to come back slowly, all right? You have to stay on top of it. But if you will do that, I promise you, you will change your life and you will offer forgiveness to everyone in your life and you will maintain a strong and healthy prayer life with our God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for being so gentle and so patient with us. It's amazing how much we struggle with very simple truths. It is true that you have forgiven us so much and that we have no excuse to offer forgiveness to other people. And I pray today that this will be a church and we'll be a people that are quick to forgive And as chapter 13 of of 1 Corinthians says, the love chapter, we, we will hold no record of wrongs. We will remove that from our hearts and our minds and we will focus on doing what's best for other people and loving them through every situation. Lord, I do not take this lightly. I know that there are people in this room that have been wronged far worse than I have ever been wronged and that I am asking a lot and you know that you are asking a lot of them. But it's nothing compared to what you've done for us already. So I pray that you will give us the strength and the courage to do what is right. And I pray that we will be a people of forgiveness. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.